Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you Lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. just around the corner, and that is Empowered Living with Jeff Bird. Jeff is the owner of Jeffrey Bird Coaching, and he will be coming to you weekly to teach you more about Empowered Living. Now, let's join Jeff already in the studio. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeff Bird with Jeffrey Bird Coaching, and this is Empowered Living. Now, today we've got a real treat for you. Um, this is something I've been wanting to do for many, many years now. And finally, all the pieces came together and the time became right. And we're going to have a story that is going to move you and inspire you and uh, really open up your eyes to some to some realities um, that are very, very powerful and very, very meaningful. So I want to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Steve Johnson. And Steve, Thank you so much. I know it's been, a, been an uphill battle getting to this point where we're able to do this today, but thank you so much for being willing to share your story and for joining me on the show today. Sure. Anytime I can give my testimony, I'm happy to do it. Well, I'm glad because it's a great testimony. And uh, so I think I first met you back in 1997 uh, when I was a technician and I was doing some work on your van. Mm -hmm. um, and then sometime later, uh, you were the director of uh, the Independence Center, uh, mm -hmm. which, uh, if you don't know, is a center for independent living. It's an advocacy group for people with various types of disabilities. And Steve was the director there for 29 years after having worked for several other years there doing other roles. And mm -hmm. you kind of got pushed into the directorship and that yeah. lasted for 29 years. Yeah. And uh, you touched a lot of lives that way. Uh, and then I ended up on the board over there. And as we got to become friends and talking, you shared the story that he's going to share with you all today, which um, I've I never heard anything like it. Uh, it's one of the most powerful, moving stories from anyone I happen to know personally that I've ever heard. So with that being said, and no further ado, Steve, I would like to turn the floor over to you and let you share your story with us today. Think about being put on the spot. <laughs> yep, that's what I do. <laughs> no, you know, I was thinking about it this morning, this particular story, I... Um, and it's amazing to me, it's really, it's just a moment in time, wasn't it? 
you know, story, so to speak. And, uh, you know, it all occurred in a, you know, a day's time. And, um, when I look back over my life, um, uh, that's been way, and probably for a lot of people, you have certain short moments of time that really change the whole direction of your life or put you on the path that you later find out God wanted you to be on. And, um, like when, when I became disabled, um, 70, uh, 60 years ago, I, uh, <clears throat> at that time, it was just a moment in time. I had no idea it was going to change my whole life or what it even meant. But that, what I want to do is focus on a story, a moment that, um, yeah, and when I tell this, it's like I almost feel guilty, like I didn't do anything to earn this, you know. And that reminds me of, you know, God's grace. Right. You don't have to. But um I just feel like fortunate. And uh, I wish more people can't could have experiences like this that they can look back on in their life and it can help shape them and motivate them throughout life. Um, but I had, uh, I had, uh, become disabled through a spinal cord injury in my backyard when I was 18, high school, um, getting ready to graduate and just going to go to Virginia Tech. I was going to end up in Vietnam on the RTC, which who knows what how that would have affected yeah, my right. life. But uh, uh, suddenly, you know, I, in an instant, when I fell in my backyard, uh, that old past was changed. And uh, it's 1967. And uh, so, back in uh, the 60s, of course, medical technology was different. Not as advanced and treatment of people with all types of disabilities, including spinal cord, were, uh, you know, just evolving. And so they had treatments that they used and to help people survive the trauma and, and, uh, of an injury and uh, start the rehab process and try to do what was needed to keep the person surviving. And, uh, in my case, uh, the doctors, they actually only gave me 50-50 chance of, of living. Uh, and they said if I hadn't been in the kind of physical shape I was in, because I was kind of a fanatic, exercise <laughs> fanatic, and uh, they said I probably wouldn't have survived the trauma. But... Um, the priest came in, gave me my last rites. Wow. I was in uh <clears throat> so you know the outlook was bleak. Of course the parents don't know what to do. Everybody went to blame themselves and nobody had anything to do with it. Uh but I, as a young man, um you know, I'm eighteen years old. <clears throat> 
know nothing about injury and nothing about uh, this kind of thing. And, you know, I had plans for college and, and uh, like an Army Ranger afterwards. And uh, those, but I didn't really have well thought out plans for my life or any kind of anything meaningful to do with my life. I was just doing what made sense at the time, you know, which was, my dad said, just sign up for the army. You got to be patriotic. So I did it. So, um, so I was a young, young boy. I went through a year of rehabilitation out out of the area. And back then, our re- rehab lasted a year. I was there eleven months, and now nowadays you get injured, you can be in and out and in a wheelchair in a couple months. So things have changed. Just as an example, uh, I remember when I when I went into rehab, uh, first thing they had to do was get me to sit up in a wheelchair, and it had been three months and they still hadn't tried sitting me up. And they said they doubted I would ever even be able to. But I remember back then they used what was called um, uh, traction, where they shave your head and they, uh, you know, these ice tongs like you pick up ice with. Mm-hmm. They put these tongs in your skull, and then you have the weights on a pulley, and they strip. Yeah, when you're laying down, you stay stretched out, so the spinal cord doesn't. It reduces the chance of swell. Is that it's not like the spinal cord actually, you know, broke. It was just the vertebrae were crushed. So the best course of action then, rather than surgery, was just stretch it out and see if they would fall back in place, and I could survive the trauma. Of that, um, so that was about three months um, of torture, just oh, okay. before I could even go to rehab. You know, so once I got there, they had to teach me to use a chair and all this stuff, and <clears throat> I didn't, because I didn't know what I wanted, what I'm going to do with my life now. I mean, it was kind of funny while I was in the rehab unit. I got a notice from the Selective Service saying my number had come up and I had been drafted and to report report for uh, duty. That song, that's kind of funny. Uh, but um, after my, I put in my 11 months there, now I said my parents had kind of modified the house a little bit, or the bathroom. So I could live at home. My goal was just to go go to college. That's all I knew. I didn't want to do the the things that they had picked out for me, basket reading, whatever. <laughs> so I made a deal with a counselor. I'll give you a book report every week. Let me double up with my physical therapy and so I can get out of here and go to college. Yeah. So they agreed to it. So um Moving forward, I get home and uh, make an adjustment to life. And sitting in a wheelchair and my family adjusting to it. And 
Um, everything's kind of new and challenging and trying to figure everything out. And then, uh, you know, once you get in a routine, then um, some, some of those phases of grief start hitting you. Um, yeah, you get depressed and uh, first denial and why me and stuff. And um, so I still fight through those stages. And for the most part, um, they're moving forward. And one of the things they had told the people with spinal cord injury at one level uh, in, at the rehab center was they tried to hear the good news and the bad news. The good news is you're still alive. The bad news is by the time you hit 40, you're probably going to have kidney disease and be dead. Mm-hmm. Start preparing. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it doesn't quite register. But, you know, as a you know, 19-year-old, it's in the back of your mind, and, and he's trying to make sense out of that and deal with that. So, uh, you know, when you, when you become spinal cord injured, you deal with a lot of uh, issues like with urinary tract infections and stuff that can take you out very quickly. But I, uh, you know, I, so I was concentrating on just trying to stay healthy. And I, one day I noticed that I had blood in my urine and I was thinking, oh, here we go. Yeah. It was uh, the uh, beginning of the end. And, um, and so I go see a doctor and they put me in the hospital. They register me. They said, you need surgery. Like this continual blood coming out. I don't even remember what type of surgery back then. Uh, I, it, they didn't explain it to me. Um, so I, I knew I had to do that. So um ended up putting me in Deep Hall Hospital. It's actually the one where I went for my injury. And uh so they they had me there and they were scheduling me for uh, a surgery the next morning. So I'm at the hospital along with my parents that already left for the evening at eight or nine o'clock. And I'm just sitting there, scared twenty year old, you know, what do I do? This I thought I had my whole life ahead of me a couple years ago and now now look at me. Uh, everything's changed. My uh, faith I was raised Catholic and uh you know, dad drug us to church every Sunday, but uh, it does extend my, you know, religious belief. Didn't really have an active uh, you know, faith Christianity uh, going in my life. Other than I believed in God and I thought I was a little Catholic boy. And uh, so 
or I'm in a Catholic hospital, and just sitting in my room, and I just started getting overwhelmed. Just like, you know, scared. Uh, yes. Didn't see blood coming out of me. Yeah. I didn't know the seeds of fear the doctors had planted in, in our heads about not making Nick until you're 40. And I, was, I was just thinking this could be the beginning of a life of uh, in and out of the hospital and who knows what, dialysis or whatever. And as my kidneys deteriorated. So I'm just sitting there kind of overwhelmed. Nurses are running around doing their thing. and uh, So I just had to get out of the room. And I was just, I was in my uh, little hospital gown. And uh, so I just said, well, I don't know why I hadn't even, hadn't even thought of that, this, but I said, I asked one of the nurses, I said, you have a chapel, you know, where I can go. You know, when you when you hit bottom and you don't know what to do, a lot of times you, one place you can look is for God, some supernatural power. And that's the way I saw him as, you know, the supernatural God, you know, not a personal relationship kind of thing. So she told me where the chapel was, and I said, well, I'm going to go down there for a few minutes. Jeff will be back shortly to wrap up today's message. This is Gabriela, still on the scene today with Top Network Radio. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Empowered Living with Jeff Berg. If you've missed any part of today's message, you can hear it again online, as well as the entire archive of Empowered Living at www.topnetworkradio.com or search keyword hashtag empowered living. We would like to acknowledge our music partners, Sound Ideas for Corporate to the Max and Kevin McLeod for Airport Lounge. Any scriptures read during this broadcast are from the New American Standard Version of the Holy Bible. If you would like to learn more about Jeffrey Bird Coaching, visit www.jeffbirdcoaching.com That is J-E-F-F-B-Y-R-D coaching.com Do a Facebook search for at Coaching Rocks or drop Jeff a line at Jeff at JeffBirdCoaching.com. Again, J-E-F-F-B-Y-R-D Coaching.com. Let Jeff's coaching rocks be the building blocks of your empowered success. Now, let's go back to Jeff for the rest of today's message. And uh, it's a small chapel. It's a traditional, what you would see back now in the Catholic in, in, in the hospital. It was a small chapel. I had a big crucifix and, and the rows and of seats and kind of like a small church setting. And uh, so I didn't, I didn't know what else to do. So I just went in there and nobody else was in there. I took a, a front row seat and got right in front of the altar. And, you know, 
and the crucifix was. And you know, I'm just shaking. I don't even know why why I was there or what I was going to say. I certainly didn't know how to pray, um, but I knew I was desperate. And I just said, I think I just cried out, probably out loud. I said, God help me. And that's all I said. And I, I don't know what I expected, what kind of help to expect, but I had no other place to turn for anybody to ask. Um, so then this, you know, then immediately, almost instantaneously, and it was kind of the I think the lights were on and the chapel was kind of dark. Uh, but instantaneously, uh, things kind of lit up. And uh, next thing I know, and it's hard to describe, but I still remember it like it happened yesterday. I was just sitting there, not knowing what to expect. I just wanted help. And, you know, teenage, I was just a typical teenager. I wasn't like all into emotions and stuff like that. So, but then I felt literally, and it wasn't just like vaguely, it literally felt like there were arms wrapped around me from behind. Big arms. Uh, and you know, all this happened in less than a minute time, but it seems longer when I look back on it. But I had this feeling come over me of the first time, not just since my accident, but in my life, of assurance that everything was going to be okay. And I had this feeling that I had this feeling of being surrounded by love, a warmth, a warm love, a light. And I literally felt like I was being lifted up out of the wheelchair. Um, it's not like I was way up high looking down, but just like lifted up five, ten feet. And uh, I was just wrapped. I was wrapped in love and assurance. Like I never thought you could anybody could experience. And a feeling of peace came over me. And I knew it was God because I asked him in his, his little study there, and uh, he was the one that I asked help. Uh, but other than that, you know, I knew a few things immediately. And the least important was I knew that my 
physical healing took place. And I wasn't going to need the surgery without even thinking about it. But the most important thing that happened was something I wasn't looking for, wasn't expecting. And the one that impacted the rest of my life. And that was God showing me his love. You know, here I am, just some normal teenage kid, scared. There's people out there with a lot worse problems than me. And he reached down and he answered my prayer. And after a few seconds, yeah, I was back. And I just, I couldn't verbalize it, but I knew that there was a God that loved me on a personal level to the extent where the extent where he would with all these prayers and petitions that God gets every day and the way I was thinking back then that's kind of how you viewed it this guy was up there writing checks he would ask for something and um, if you were worthy then you might get it um but he knew there was a lot of other people praying too for the same kind of thing. But it was like, you know, why, why is he doing this for me? You know, why, why did he single me out to take care of my problem? And I feel uh, I didn't do anything to earn it. I'm just scared, scared kid. Uh, but I had this just tremendous joy in this urge to tell somebody, to tell people, God is real. I know what's happened to me. I went up to the, back to my room because I wanted to tell somebody. But it's not like I wanted to tell somebody. I had to. And I was like, that's what you do when this happens. So I go back to my room. And the nurse is in there doing whatever she was doing. One that I'd gotten to know a little bit. And uh, just real matter of factly, not emotionally or anything, I said, I said, um, you can tell a doctor to cancel the surgery tomorrow. She said, what? I said, I'm healed. She said, what do you mean you're healed? <laughs> I said, and I hadn't even checked. See, you know, I didn't even check. I didn't even check. Right. I said, I'm sure the, the bleeding has stopped and I've been healed. Uh, I just know it. She said, why do you know? I said, well, check. So she checks. The, the blood had totally stopped bleeding. And she says something like, well, sometimes it'll do this for a while, and then it'll come back. Uh, but uh, that would be good. I said, well, I am healed, so you can 
might as well just tell the doctor. And uh, she said, well, they always do a extra test in the morning for the surgery just to double check. If, they, if something has changed, they'll know when they do that. Right. I said, okay. And uh, she was in there prepping me and shaving me and getting me ready you know, for the surgery whilst I was talking to her. And uh, just kind of let that sit. And then I had this other urge come over me, which I've never had my whole life. And I said, I had this need to tell somebody that I didn't know is going through suffering and difficulty, that there is hope, and that God does love you, and He can be there with you and for you, and it's not just some abstract thing in the sky. And I just had this need to tell somebody who was hurting. So she can she looked at me like I was a little bit crazy. <laughs> I said, "Can you tell me?" Who on this floor is in the worst condition medically? It's okay that uh, I could go visit. He said, "Well, they'll probably not even know that you visit them." Um, they said, "We there's a lady at the end of the hall, the last stage of the cancer, mm-hmm. and she's you know, she hasn't been responsive all day. It's kind of." Mm-hmm. You know, unconscious, she's still alive and breathing, but um, you know her time is limited. I said, "Well, I'm gonna go down there then." She said, "That's fine." So I go on down with my hospital down nine thirty at night, and uh, I go in the room. It's quiet and it's dark. Nobody else is in there. And I saw this lady, and she was just laying there peacefully, like. Not that, like she was in pain or anything, just kind of sleeping, it looked like. Um, and I went up to her and I said, uh, I said, I know you probably won't, can't even hear me. Um, but I just felt like God wanted me to tell you that He loves you and that He cares about you. I said, He just, revealed himself to me. He wanted me to make sure I shared that with some other people. And I figured that and that was the end of the conversation. Back then, I didn't know how to have you pray to somebody. Right. You know, unless it's like the Lord's Prayer during the Mass, you, know, you, you just don't pray. And so I just kind of I think I put my hand on her hand and just said, well, I just felt like I had to tell you this, and I wish you the best, and uh, I hope everything goes okay. And a smile came to her face. Mm -hmm. She didn't wake up, but a smile came to her face. And that's when I knew that she had somehow got the message. Yeah, right. And I think, I think after that, her eyes opened and closed just for a couple seconds. She had that smile. 
I mean, that was it. It wasn't anything big, dramatic, uh, but it kind of, I guess it kind of showed me that the importance of sharing what God gives you with others and how you can, in small ways, impact the lives of others just by showing God's love. And that kind of, even though I didn't know what that meant, it kind of registered itself in my soul. Um, so anyway, fast forward. Uh, I don't think I slept at all that night. You know, I think I just floated through the night. But got up the next morning, six o'clock for surgery. They rolled me down to the pre-surgery area. And I'm telling them, I'm saying, you know, can you let the doctor know that I'm not going to, I don't need this surgery. <laughs> I said, yeah, yeah sure. <laughs> I said, well, he always double checks. I said, that's fine. I heard that story last night. I, I, so they said he always takes an X, uh, x-ray before he starts the surgery. So I'm kind of half in and half out of it right now. And, you know, while this is happening, so the anesthesiast comes up and says, okay, I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to say, fine, but I'm not going to need it because I don't need this <laughs> surgery. Everybody, they probably hear it all the time. So, so then, now, the next thing I knew, the doctor comes down. He's flipping through the chart. Mr. Johnson, he said, um, how are you feeling? I said, I'm fine. I don't, I don't need surgery. But yeah, I heard that. <laughs> he said, but, uh, and we don't see you know, any blood. You know, we don't see the same signs we saw yesterday. He said, but I'm going to run another test to make sure. So uh, he runs, I guess it was an X-ray, whatever test they run for that. And I'm sitting there waiting another hour, and he come, some, one, of the, one of them came back and said, Mr. Johnson, your, your surgery has been canceled for the day. I'm saying, good, I could have <laughs> told you that last night. <laughs> so um, they rolled me back down to the room, and, they, they, and I said, well, why did they cancel? And he, well... <laughs> When they looked at the x-ray, again, he said there was no sign or anything at all. Yeah. Uh, so then, they, 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 they wanted to keep me in the hospital and observe me for a day, half a day, before they released me, just to make sure they probably ran some more tests. And everything came back clear. And so, of course, I'm thrilled knowing I don't have to, you know, go through this surgery and the rest of my life, you know, getting the surgery. And, and also knowing that I'm not going to need it. Uh, 
And so they let me go to the hospital. My parents come and get me, and they said, what happened? Because I tried to tell them. My mom picked me up, I think. She, she of course, all happy, kind of like half believing it. Yeah. And like, this is wonderful. She was really, she was strong. Yeah, like, uh, and she was strong to leave. So she was real happy. Yeah. So then, and then I, and I tried to, then I told as many people as I could about the real healing that took place, which was not, I kidding, with my heart. And how God had reached out to a scared young boy. I guess you don't have to in God, but, and put peace back in my life. Gave me some things to help prepare me for the rest of my life. Um, because all my friends were just like, yeah, teenagers and brothers and sisters. That kind of reaction you would expect. Thank you so much for joining us today. You have been listening to Steve Johnson's story, which is his testimony of inner and outer healing. This is part one of a two-part airing that we're going to do. So please be sure and tune back in next week when we air the second half of Steve's journey since that time of the healing of his kidneys. You won't want to miss this. He's got some tremendous insights into the inner journey and the personal growth and development, which he says is the most important part of the journey. So again, thank you for joining us. This is Jeff Bird with Jeffrey Bird Coaching, and this is Empowered Living.